sermon text does a portion, as noted, of our gospel reading, the tail end of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. This is our text. I'm not one who cares a whole lot about what is fashionable, especially when it comes to graphic tees. I wear whatever my wife buys me. She has excellent taste and judgment, which means that she typically avoids what is trendy and is vehemently opposed to kitsch, all of which works out quite well for me. And perhaps that's why we somehow seem to miss out entirely on the blessed trend that dominated t-shirts over the last year. I saw them everywhere on men and women, mostly women, I suppose. At first, it was just blessed, emblazoned on the shirt. But that simplicity was soon embellished with simply blessed, truly blessed, blessed mama, red, white, and blessed, blessed by a ghost, too blessed to be stressed, and even black, blessed, and highly favored. Now, these sound like exactly the sorts of shirts you have been looking for. Rest easy. You haven't missed out. They are all still readily available online or on the racks of Walmart. And considering my locale, I suppose you could probably find them at Meyer as well. People like to be blessed. And apparently, they like to let other people know that they are blessed. Perhaps putting it on your shirt is seen as a mild, non-aggressive way of suggesting a semblance of faith at work in the person who wears the declaration. A little low-key witnessing. Being blessed certainly carries a divine aura to it. No longer just a matter of luck or fortune. No, now you have God's favor. You are blessed. And who wouldn't want to be blessed? It means that things are going the way they're supposed to go. The family is doing well. The job is solid. The house is comfortable. The car is reliable. Vacations are fun. And the debt is manageable. Blessed. It is a good thing. This is certainly the way the world sees it. Winners of awards and championship ball games and big contracts are blessed. And even in the church, we usually think about blessing pretty much the same way. Christians are blessed with children, blessed with ministry opportunities, blessed with friends, blessed with comfortable lives, blessed with good health, blessed by God's grace. Blessed is what we call it when it seems like God is smiling on us and lifting up his countenance upon us and looking on us with favor. And maybe that's why the Beatitudes perplex Christians. And of course, we're all familiar with this famous beginning of Jesus' famous sermon. Three chapters worth of red ink in Matthew's gospel. 
the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' sermon, if you know it, contains plenty that is surprising and often difficult to accept and really come to terms with, like turning a slapped cheek to offer a fresh one for another smack, or willingly giving up what is rightfully your own, or even cutting off offending hands, or plucking out sinning eyeballs. But the challenge of Jesus' teaching in his sermon begins right off the bat with the Beatitudes. Because so much of what Jesus calls blessed doesn't feel much like blessing to us. Now certainly there's no doubt that the Beatitudes are a beautiful piece of prose that sketches the wonder of Jesus' love and grace. And so it seems like we should expect this list of blessings from Jesus to provoke wonder and awe or gratitude and praise of God, but certainly not perplexity. And yet the truth is that when you actually stop and read Jesus' litany of what counts as blessing, and when you take time to ponder the meaning of the words, it's not so easy to know just what we're supposed to do with these Beatitudes. Some make sense, like peacemakers being called sons of God, or the pure in heart being the ones who get to see God. That kind of adds up. But others on the list just don't make any sense at all, like meek or gentle people inheriting the earth. That doesn't happen. Or the idea that those who bear acute grief or anguish over the brokenness of the world, well, they are actually blessed in their sorrow and distress. Such pain and such self-emptying don't look or feel much like blessing, do they? Maybe the problem is that we've gotten the definition of blessing all wrong. In fact, maybe blessing is not something to be sought, but something to be endured. Odds are good that unless you're an English major or a great fan of 20th century American literature, you have probably never heard of Flannery O'Connor. A Georgian who wrote in the genre that has been dubbed Southern Gothic. Now, don't feel bad if you have not heard of her. It was only a dozen or so years ago that I first encountered her work. O'Connor wrote unsettling stories with complicated characters, characters prone to odd and often violent behavior. She wrote with an insight into the beauty of the gospel and the power of the call of Christ that may help us come to better grasp what it means to be blessed. O'Connor's short story, Parker's Back, introduces us to an exceedingly unlikely hero named O.E. Parker, a southern man who was as ordinary as a loaf of bread and who had few resources, fewer accomplishments, no interest in God, religion, or getting saved, and a keen love of tattoos, mostly acquired before being dishonorably discharged from the Navy, but that continued to spread over his body even as a civilian. Things seem 
to just happen to Parker. It's one of the remarkable things about how O'Connor tells her story. Parker ends up marrying a girl he does not like and who does not much like him or his tattoos, which she sees as God-forbidden vanity bordering on idolatry. She wants nothing to do with them. Well, then one day, while working as a farmhand for a neighbor lady, something really happens to Parker. Lost in his thoughts, daydreaming while driving the farm's only old beat-up tractor, he somehow forgets about a very large tree that's planted right smack in the middle of the field where the hay baler is operating that he's driving behind the tractor. He's this pull behind the tractor he's driving. He kind of forgets that it's even there. Here's how O'Connor describes the story. All at once... He saw the tree reaching out to grasp him. A ferocious thud propelled him into the air, and he heard himself yelling in an unbelievably loud voice, God above! He landed on his back while the tractor crashed upside down into the tree and burst into flame. The first thing Parker saw were his shoes, quickly being eaten by the fire. One was caught under the tractor. The other was some distance away, burning by itself. He was not in them. He could feel the hot breath of the burning tree on his face. He scrambled backwards, still sitting, his eyes cavernous. And if he had known how to cross himself, he would have done it. The moment marks a conversion for Parker who determines to respond to what he interprets as a miraculous escape with a concrete act of submission to God. Now, if you're curious about what he does, you can read the story. <laughs> you can just Google it, free PDF, check it out. For now, what matters is what happens to Parker after he humbly heeds God's call. What he gets is fired from his job, ridicule and mocking from his peers, and the unmitigated contempt and rejection of his wife, who beats him with a broom, drives him out of the house, and leaves him weeping helplessly under a tree. You did not expect a happy ending, did you? That's how the story ends. Sorry, I ruined it for you. Such is the life, O'Connor suggests, of one who decides to go all in and surrender to the call of Christ. Blessed? Exactly. That's the point. O'Connor gets it. Obedience to the call of Christ always brings the blessing of God. It brings union with Christ, which means enduring with Christ. Enduring the blessing of being God's chosen one who does not fit in this world. Who is badly out of step with the things that make sense to everybody else in the world. Who is misunderstood by those who are ardently religious 
who is rejected by those who love him, who yearns and groans for the things that matter to God, only to have those around him insult him and ridicule him. And all of this just happens to those who follow Christ. This happens not because of choices made. It is not the result of paths that we choose or aspirations we pursue or resolutions we make. All of this happens simply because God finds us, calls us, and claims us. To be found, called, and claimed by God is to be blessed by God. One does not seek out this sort of blessing. No, this kind of blessing finds you. That's the point of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not a list of goals you should pursue. The Beatitudes are not ideals for which you should strive in your life. The Beatitudes are not markers of holiness that you should seek, and they're not accomplishments to be prized. No, the Beatitudes are an unlikely and unsettling description of the person who has been found, called, and claimed by God. The Beatitudes are the sort of thing that just happened to you when you do what Parker did and simply yield to the miracle of God's call. My guess is that most of you were not found, called, and claimed by God barefoot under a flaming tree. But there's a good chance that you were barefoot and certainly bareheaded as the waters of baptism splashed over you. God found you, called you, and claimed you right there at the font. He blessed you. The question now is whether you will yield to God's grace, embrace God's call, and endure God's blessing. Blessed are you when men insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed, blessed by God, indeed. That's what blessing is all about. What will you do? Are you ready to jump in with both feet and be blessed by God? Or are you more inclined to lay low and see if maybe you can avoid some of those blessings that God has in store for his people? Maybe you'd like to sort out the ones that you want from those you would rather not endure. The truth is that most Christians don't like persecution very much. They don't like being different from the rest of the world. They don't like being weird. And they don't like having their lives ruled by anyone other than themselves. And if you wouldn't willingly choose any of those things for yourself, you're probably even less inclined to let them happen to your kids or your grandkids. Now, when it comes right down to it, most of us have no interest at all in the sort of blessings that Jesus promises his people in the Beatitudes. But there is no other way. It does just happen 
after all. People who receive God's grace receive God's blessings. All of them. You can't pick and choose. The blessings come. It can't be helped. It just happens. The only thing you can do is obey the only imperative verbs in this entire section of our gospel reading. Rejoice and be glad. That's what you do. When God's blessings of humility, meekness, mercy, purity, ridicule, contempt, and persecution come to you, you exalt, you delight, and you praise God that you have been blessed. You've been blessed to be Christ's own, to live in his life, and to follow his path, even when it leads through trials and pain and heartache. What else could any of us want for ourselves or for those we love? This is the reality of the Christian life that Christ intends for us. The blessings are built in. The blessings just happen to those who follow Jesus. And for those who follow Jesus, the rewards of God's grace also just happen. Of course, most of those rewards, those outcomes of God's blessings that are described by Jesus, most of them come a lot later. But they do come. They come when Christ comes and makes everything new. And he is going to do that. He is going to fulfill every promise he has made. Jesus will complete every blessing and bring them to fulfillment. You, his people, you will inherit the earth. And you, his people, you will be filled and comforted. And you will see God. And you will delight and rejoice that you have a place in the eternal kingdom of God. On that day, on the day when Christ comes and fulfills every blessing, you won't need a t-shirt to declare the truth. You will be wrapped in Christ's righteousness, clothed in his beautiful garments. And that's all the blessing that you will need. And everyone will know that it is yours. It is yours, a gift from Christ. Like every other gift, a gift that just happens to you because God loves you and calls you and claims you and blesses you. Amen.